Uh, church family, if you have your Bible, we're going to jump in here. Uh, thought maybe we would finish the David series. Just this uh, passage is a, is a favorite of mine, and um, just weighed heavy on my heart this week. So no funny story to get us going. Let's just jump right in. Mark 3, verse 13. And he, that's Jesus, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boadnerges, excuse me, that is, the sons of thunder. By the way, anybody love the fact that Jesus gives people nicknames? I just think that's pretty awesome. Uh, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out uh, to seize him, for they uh, were saying, he's out of his mind. So uh, today, I want to um, focus just quickly thinking about where we've been in the course of the summer, uh, where we're going with the rest of the summer. I want to focus quickly on this particular passage and in, in these two phrases um, that, that uh, are stuck in my mind in this particular passage. The first phrase is to be with him. If we could inscribe that over our lives and unto our hearts and write it in our DNA, that would be a terrific thing, that you and I would be a people who were with him. That's what he says uh, in verse 14, he appointed 12 whom he came, uh, also named apostles so that they might be with him. Don't miss that. Uh, how then, I mean, because you and I, we were made for more than religion. Uh, we were made for uh, more than just a, an experience. We were made for a relationship and a relationship with God. And, and Colossians 1 says it this way, that God made all of this stuff and he made all of this stuff by him and for him. So we were made for him and we were made for a relationship with him. So for us to be with him, and that's fulfilling what God has put in us um, to do. It's what he has made us for. How do we go about doing that? I, I think the text helps us here with that. And again, and man, what a, what a flag to wave uh, and to fly over our lives. This would be a huge one. But if we're going to be people who are with him, there's some things that have to be true. First of all, we have to come out of the crowd. Now, can we back up to verse 7? In this particular passage, back up to verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd, how big is a great crowd? It's a lot, Um, followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So basically, just picture this. He's up there doing his thing, and he says, okay, let's get away for a little bit, and everybody keeps coming at him. People keep coming out of the woodwork. People come from all these different places, from east, from west, from north, from south, from here, from there, from the cities, from the towns, from the country. Uh, there are all sorts of people here, okay? When, uh, when the great crowd, it says at the end of verse 8, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Why did they come to him? Because they heard what he was doing. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them uh, not to make him known. And just pause right there because that's a little confusing. Why wouldn't you want his name to be known? The answer is because you want to be really careful who speaks for you. Am I right about that? 
Yeah, Jesus doesn't want demons speaking for him. So let's just put that on record. Um, here's the thing. Why, why would you need to come out of the crowd? Verse 13, he went up on the mountain. Okay, that's what he did. He went up. Why would you need to come out of the crowd? And the answer is this, because the crowd wants God for what he can give to them. That's what marks all throughout uh, the, the book of Mark, all throughout the Gospels. Whenever you see a crowd, they're always wanting things from God. Here, God, what can you do for me? Here, God, what can I kind of uh, trap you into a deal to make you do for me? Hey, God, how can you benefit me in some way? Crowds only want him for what he does for him. They don't want him. They want his gifts. They don't want the giver. They just want the things that come from the giver. This, this expresses itself in a hundred different ways. Later in the book of Mark, uh, we see uh, crowds following him because he um, uh, fed 5,000 men uh, in a single setting with just a couple of, uh, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. I mean, all throughout we see, and we know this today, we know people who would gladly take God for his gifts, but they don't want God for God. That's a problem. And that's why we have to come out of the crowd. That's why we have to come out of the crowd. It can be um, an irreligious crowd that only wants God for doing it. Or it can be a religious crowd, and we see these people on TV who want God for what they can give him. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, however you say it. Nonetheless, it's, it's hey, God, I want you to do this for me. I'm, the problem with this kind of thinking and the reason why we need to come out of the crowd is because the crowd keeps the crowd. The crowd has still at the center of the whole thing myself. I'm at the center of this whole thing. If I'm only wanting God for what he can give me, I'm still at the center. When I leave the crowd and I come to Jesus, I'm coming to a king. You know what that means? I'm not the king. I'm saying you are the king, not me. So therefore, my wants, my needs, my desires, all of that has to fit underneath what God has said, what he has done, and the agenda that he is bringing to bear in the world. I can't live as the center of myself anymore. Instead, I have to submit myself to him. And people who want him only for what he does, who only want him for his gifts, guess what? They, they cannot do that. Some people approach Christianity uh, this way. They say, oh, well, I'm really grateful for salvation, um, and I'll just hold on until heaven. But here's the thing. Uh, there is no Christianity uh, without discipleship. And some people think of it as kind of a house and senate, the lower house and the upper house, or however you want to say it, where you know, it's, the, it's the Christians who advance to discipleship. Those are the ones who really uh, get the, No, 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 no. There is no biblical form of Christianity without discipleship. In other words, he speaks to the crowds, and he speaks to his disciples in the exact same way. Let me just prove this uh, to you, uh, in, just in case you think this doesn't apply to you. We could turn multiple places uh, here in the book of Mark, just a few pages over to chapter 8. Can you turn there with me? We're going to look at verse 31. In the West, in, in particular in America, there is this mindset of, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm just not a disciple. In the Bible, there's no such thing. One more time. There is no Christianity that is not disciple-oriented, okay? Everybody who's a follower, excuse me, is a, is a Christian, is a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Verse 31, Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise. Again, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Just pause here. This is one of three times in the book of Mark, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, three times in three chapters. Jesus says, Hey, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back from the dead. And all his disciples are like, mm, uh, We don't know what that means. But he's saying it plainly. Peter says, Hey, that's not the agenda that I think you should accomplish. Anybody else have a plan that God interrupts and it goes a different way? Anybody ever happen? So you're in good company with Peter. Here's the part I don't want you to miss. Because when we come out of the crowd, we understand that there is no Christianity without discipleship. There is no, there's just no such thing. Here's the part that I don't want you to miss. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. Who did he speak to? Who did he speak to? There's two groups. Who were they? The crowd and one message for both. Don't miss it. Here's what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So if you think, hey, this doesn't apply to you, um, I'm here to say to you, he spoke to the crowds and he spoke to his disciples in the exact same way. Come out, come out of the crowd. If we're going to be the people who are with him, made for relationship with him. How does that, it starts with coming out of the crowd, but we're not just wandering out of the crowd and into our own way as the, the scripture sets it up in Mark 8 beautifully. We come out of the crowd, but we come to him. And that's what he says back in Mark 3 um, here. And he says in verse 13, he went up on the mountain and he called to him. He called to him those whom he desired, and they came when they came to him. So we come out of the crowd, and we come to him. Um, we hear his call, and we obey. How does that work? Well, we hear the gospel. We, like Peter, need to hear Jesus say, I'm going to go up, I'm going to make a sacrifice, and I'm going to rise again. And we're like, oh. No, no. We say yes to that. Well, God, I don't think that's the way it should go. Okay, good. We still say yes to that. Uh, I'm not sure I understand it all. We still say yes to that. Our life is marked by yes. We come out of the crowd. We come to him. And it, that journey with him begins by saying yes. Yes, we believe that you sacrificed your life for our sins. Yes, we believe that you rose again. And yes, we believe that you give eternal life to anyone and everyone who comes to him. Just this week, I wish you would have been there. Tuesday morning, right before staff meeting. The pastor was late to staff meeting, by the way. Um, Tuesday morning before staff meeting, uh, this gal comes in. We're going to baptize her next week. Gal comes in, sits down in my office, tells me her story, explains her life and her situation, her circumstances. I share the gospel with her, and she said, I wish you could have been there. She poured out her life to Jesus. Her prayer, oh, Jesus, thank you that you're willing to do that for me with all of the junk that's in my life. You're willing to forgive my sin and give me a new life. Please come into my life and do it. I say yes, and I'm like... This is holy ground. Let's take off our shoes, people. Let's consecrate the office and just say, wow, what kind of God does this? And the answer is, our kind of God. The God that you come out from the crowds for and the God that you come to when you come to Jesus. The, the, the God that you leave all the other stuff for and the God that you come to when you, that kind of God, that's who does it. 
She poured out her heart, and you and I can do the same. By saying yes to him, when we hear the gospel, we say yes, and we respond by faith to him. But it's not just that. We also continue to live by faith with him. It's not a one-time experience that we say yes to him. We're just living over and over and over again um, with this sense of yes. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to say yes to you today, and I'm going to live by faith with you today, and I'm saying yes to you, and I, I continue to live with him. I continue to walk with him by saying yes. And that brings me to the third thing. If we're going to be people who are with him, we come out of the crowd, we come to him. And then lastly, we stay close to him. So come out of the crowd, come to him. Lastly, stay close to him. And that's what he's pointing at in verse 14. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles that they might be with him, with him, stay close to him. I just give you, this is an example. Uh, of, of what this kind of picture looks like. So the other day we're swimming. Uh, one of my daughters rolls up behind me. She goes, Daddy, your neck is very dark and your back is very white. <laughs> Why is that? Well, babe, I'm a genetic mutant, and, uh, you know, it's just weird how that, it was when I had that head transplant, you know, and they just picked it. It's where my shirt stops, babe, and the sun hits, and it doesn't hit, like it hits, and it doesn't hit. Oh, okay, yeah, I get it. You can imagine me being, you know, inside all day, every day for the rest of my life, and, and eventually my neck would go back to match, you know, the shade of my back, just white as can be, right? Why? Because it's not continually exposed to the sun. The transformation, the color change, the, the, the shaping, the marking happens when I'm exposed to the sun. Catching me here? If we're going to stay close to him, be changed by him, let him mark us, we have to continually expose ourselves to him and what he's doing in our lives. Yes, we come out of the crowd, and yes, 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 we come to him saying yes, and we continue to say yes and stay close to him by walking with him, by being with him. So I was thinking this week, I'm like, how, how do we do that? How, do we, how can I encourage our people practically that this would happen? And so I was just thinking about this, and this is where the passage is on my, on my Bible right here. And I was just thinking, and all of a sudden, these passages right around on this singular page uh, jumped out to me. So let me just give you a few expressions of how practical things of how we might stay close to him. Number one, we simply hear what he says. This is in chapter 4, uh, the first 20 or so verses of chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jesus tells a story about a sower who's going out to sow, and he's throwing seeds out. He's throwing seeds out, and some of the seeds fall on the road. They get swooped up by the birds of the air. Uh, Some of the seeds fall in rocky soil, and uh, they spring up, but when the heat of the day comes, the plants wither away. Some of the uh, uh, seeds fall in uh, uh, bad soil that's that's, uh, full of thorns and and, thorns. Uh, weeds and stuff, and they spring up, but they get choked out by the weeds. And some of it falls on good soil, and this is what Jesus said. that Those good uh, uh, plants, what they do, they spring up, and then they bear fruit far beyond anything. 30, 60, 100 fold, far beyond anything that they uh, should normally do. His disciples come to him, they're like, hey, uh, nice story. What's it mean? Jesus, oh, come here, kids. He says this, 
the sower who's going out to sow. That, that, that's basically me. And what am I sowing? I'm sowing the word of God. I'm distributing the word of God freely without prejudice. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. I'm distributing the word of God. And sometimes it lands on the road and the birds of the air. That's the enemy. That's the spiritual darkness that creeps in and just snatches it up. All the things that God may have been doing just takes it out. Some of it falls in that rocky soil and you'll see kind of initial life, something that looks like life pop up. But man, it can't, it can't survive the, the hardship of life. And so persecution kills it off. Some of it springs up and it gets choked out by the worries and cares and deceitfulness of riches of the world. Hello, suburbia. And then some of it lands in good soil, and it, it bears fruit far beyond anything that that one little kernel should have done, 30, 60, 100 times more. If we're going to be a people who stay close to him, who are with him, we got to be people who hear what he says. And so we've talked about this before. Please bear with me one more time. There's no secret ingredient to spiritual growth, church family. You know what it is? It's prayer in the Bible, the Bible in prayer, prayer in the Bible, the Bible in prayer. I pick this up. I read it. I talk to God about what I read. I pick this up and I read it and I talk to God about the things that I read and I pick it up and I read it and I talk. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm exposing myself to what he, uh, what he has said and what he has done and who he is. And that changes me. That marks me. That transforms me. I need to hear what he says. Secondly, again, I'm just, I'm just looking at the page as I'm studying this week. Uh, this is in chapter 3, verse 35, just a few uh, verses from where we were reading a moment ago. For whoever does the will of God, don't miss that, whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, uh, excuse me, my, my brother and sister and mother. Uh, Jesus is with uh, some of his people, and they're like, hey, your family's outside. He's like, oh, you want to know who my people are? These are my people, those who do what I command. So hear what he says, and then do what he commands. Do what he commands. If you want to be close to him, do what he commands. I'll point you here. Uh, you can just, I'll read it, and you can go look it up later. John 14, 21, listen to what he says. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And then listen, I will show myself, manifest myself, disclose myself, reveal myself to him. You want to be someone who knows God, who, uh, who is close to God? You got to be a person who does what he commands. And the more we obey what he commands, the more uh, we see him for who he is. Now, this is very easy to explain, very difficult to apply. Anybody with me on that? Why is that? Because he says crazy stuff. Like, whoever wants to come after me, and we're like, we're in. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Oh, let's pause here. Let's think about this. Well, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? 401k is packed. 529, send the kids off to college. Awesome. House is paid. What does it gain the world? What does it gain a man to, to have the whole world and then lose his soul. Ooh. Easy to understand, hard to apply. But listen, it's always worth it to do what he commands. Here's another one. If you're going to stay close to him, here's another one. You've got to go where he goes. Again, I'm just looking at the page here. This is chapter 2, verse 23. 
It says one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, Jesus was. And as they, that's his disciples, uh, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So they were just walking along and they took some grain and stuck it in their mouth so they could have a little something to chew on along the way. Um, anybody f- for following Jesus through the grain fields? Anybody with me on? It sounds a little boring, doesn't it? Here's the thing, and please don't let, in a, in a thrill-sinking, I need adrenaline, I need stimulation kind of culture, please don't think that following Jesus in the mundane task of our day is anything but boring. What happens afterwards is that the Pharisees come along and they're like, hey, listen, they're doing things that ought not be done on the Sabbath, and then Jesus just takes the Pharisees to school. Oh, here's what you need to know. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath is where he finishes. If you're going to go where he goes, it will not be boring. I promise you that. It may feel mundane at times, but it will not be boring. Those who follow him and they go where he goes, listen to me. They either end up in trouble like here or they end up misunderstood. Can we look at one more passage? Right at the end of where we were reading in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, this may be more painful than being in trouble. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Being misunderstood when you go where he goes, being misunderstood may actually be more painful than being in trouble. Because that misunderstanding often comes from those who are closest to us. God, you know, Jesus, I'm following you here, but my spouse... They don't understand. Or my kids, don't, my, my parents, they don't understand. My coworker doesn't, my boss does not understand. But we still go where he goes. If we're going to stay close to him, if we're going to be with him, we come out of the crowd, we come to him and we stay close. Last one is that you're be with his people. Stay close to him. Be with his people. Um, he lists in the middle of the passage that we read, uh, um, Simon, whom he called Peter, James and John, um, uh, the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Listen, here's the thing. Um, this was a diverse bunch, right? They didn't hold the same vocations. They didn't hold the same worldviews. Uh, some of them were donkeys and some of them were elephants. I mean, like the whole thing, right? It, they're all diverse. There's all sorts of uh, uh, craziness that happened in that group right there. They were an imperfect people, listen to me, who were perfect for each other. That sounds like church. Can we back up uh, one chapter? Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. He passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then listen to this, verse 15. As he reclined at table in his house, so Jesus had gone to Levi's house. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Let's just pause here because all the kids are gone. They got jammed today. Listen, Tax collectors were those who had sworn allegiance to the Roman government and turned away from, um, turned away from uh, kind of practicing pure Judaism. Sinners were the immoral people. Okay? We need to say more? So you had people who had sworn allegiance to the wrong group and people who were acting really, really badly. That's who wanted to hang around Jesus. 
That's who followed him and who had their lives changed by him. Verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it, and he said to them, those who are well, <clears throat> it says right there that he cleared his throat. I know it did. But he, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. <coughs> I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Church, is a, church can be a funny place, man. It's full of imperfect people. There's a whole list of them in chapter 3. Please don't look down the row. You know why? You'll see imperfect people who are perfect for each other because God uses us to shape one another into the image of Jesus. Be with his people. We say this around here a lot, and let me just go ahead and lay it out one more time. If you are an imperfect person and particularly feeling that way right now, you're in good company. Why? Because church is the place where it is okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Jesus did come to call the sick, the sinners, but he came to transform their lives, and that's the business he's in. Be with him. How do we do that? We come out of the crowd, we come to him, and we stay close to him. Uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14, and then 15. Listen. He, he called these, that he named 12, these apostles, so they might be with him, and then don't miss this one, that he might send them out. And that's the second part of this, that they would be sent out. Listen. If, if, if we are gathered together, Jesus then scatters us. That's a good thing. That's a good, gathering is good. Scattered is also part of this rhythm. It, it's what, it's what uh, he does. He brings his people together and he sends them out. Brings his people together, sends them out. This is what he does. If we're gathered, then it's, it, that's good. And then we need to scatter because there's a world out there that needs to know. Here's the thing. If we're scattered doing the things that Jesus said are worthwhile to do, then we also need to gather. As your pastor, can we just talk for just a second? Like, our church does great at taking on projects and doing things out there. Like, yes, let's cheer on with that. So we need to gather. I think our general ethos is, let's go do something. And I'm like, yes, let's go. And we also need to gather. Here's why. This is why it's important for us as a church family to start with, be with him before we are sent out. Because it is precisely being with him that qualified them to be sent out, to carry his message. Hear me on this. It is our intimacy with God that is the most consequential thing um, that we can carry out into a world that desperately needs it. So yes, let's scatter, but let's, let's gather. Let's be with him and then be sent out. And he breaks this being sent out into two things here. First he says, let's preach. He says uh, that he might send them out to preach. He might send them out to preach the gospel. Uh, there's no getting around it. What does this mean? It means giving a verbal witness to what God has said and done. Not a, 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 a sermon necessarily, but a clear witness and a verbal witness to friends, to neighbors, to all these kinds of things that are, that are around us. We give a verbal witness. In our church family, we've kind of tiered it um, into this particular graphic, and it makes sense to a lot of people to see it this way. We start with this foundational uh, expectation 
of our culture of invitation, that we would be people who regularly invite people to church. Do you go to church anywhere regularly? Oh, well, no, I really, we'd love to have you um, at Heritage Park. This culture of invitation, as the, as the summer uh, winds down and school begins to ramp back up, this is a great opportunity uh, for you to be invested in, in, in conversations with people and invite them to church. The second tier, if God opens that door, is that we get an opportunity to tell our story. Hey, this is how God has worked in my life. This is how he has moved in our life my life. This is how he has uh, changed me. This is how he has worked. You get an opportunity to tell your story. And then lastly, you get an opportunity to share the gospel. Hey, Jesus has died for you because he loves you and he has carried and paid for your sins. And he has come back from the dead, rose from the dead to give you new life. If you'll turn away from your sin, come out of the crowd and come to him. If you'll remove yourself from that place and, and what the Bible calls repentance and then come to him in faith and say, yes, Lord, to you. He'll change your life. He'll forgive you of your sin and change your life. When we're sent out, we're sent out with a message. We're sent out with a purpose, and that is to preach the gospel. And then he says, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, it just got real interesting in here when you read that, right? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that for us? Yes, that's for us. Here's the thing. In our secular Western society, um, uh, the, the enemy doesn't necessarily manifest himself in, in ways that uh, a less materialistic society um, does. But here's the thing. You might say it this way, to push back the darkness. He sends us out to preach, and he wants us to push back the darkness. And that looks like all sorts of ways. Um, false teaching, 1 Timothy chapter 4 talks about false teaching, the doctrines of demons. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about these works of darkness, um, where there's all sorts of things that are listed there. Immorality and um, uh, 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 coarse joking and talk, all this kind of stuff. Posting on Facebook, things you're not supposed to. Oh, wait, that's not what it actually says. It may say that, but it may not say I mean, there's all sorts of ways that we get an opportunity to push back the darkness. Here's the thing. When you do, when you see, when he says cast out demons, what he's saying is let's look at where the darkness is and let's move that way. Why? Because I don't have to go get light and bring it with me. The scripture that the kids are going to memorize this week at VBS is this. You are the light of the world. You know what that means? I don't have to go get the light. Why? Jesus has made me the light. He's made you the light. So wherever you see the darkness, whenever you see it, you come as the light. You're not bringing it. You are the light. Secondly, then you not only have light there where the darkness is, but you have authority to do the things that Jesus has said to do. You have authority to do that. This, this from 1 John 4, verse 4. Listen to this one. <clears throat> he says, it's coming. Little children... You are from God. Isn't that good news? And have overcome them, he says, the evil spirits. You've overcome the evil spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now listen to me. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know what that means? That is a massive point of security. You know why? Because you're not going to face anything this week that Jesus isn't in charge of. Nothing. 
Why? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. You are the light of the world, and you have power inside of you by the Holy Spirit to do the things that he said to do. It is a massive point of security, and it is a massive point of power to say, I see that there's darkness here. I need to do something about this. I need to step out and do something about this. Listen to me. You're created by God the Father, redeemed by God the Son, gifted and empowered by God the Spirit to do the things that God wants done in the world. Let's go do that. We are sent out. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have message and authority. But listen, where does it all start? And how does it work? It starts with yes. Yes, Lord. So if you've got a place in your life where you've been saying no, or you've been saying more like yes, with a question mark, Now's the time, right now, to let that go. So I'm going to ask you, just fold up, put up, whatever you need to do. Frank's going to sing a song over you or with you if you choose to sing. Just a moment of reflection and we'll be out of here. It all starts with, yes, Lord. So if you've got a spot in your life where you've been saying no, or maybe there's a question mark hanging over a spot, I want you... Let's get that settled this morning so that we can be with him and then sent out to do what he says.